for listening to our podcast. Make sure and subscribe so you can check in with us every week. Isn't that a blessing to have the children singing this morning? Ooh, man, I love that. I love the fact that they are learning all about the riches of Jesus Christ in Elevate Kids Church this morning. And uh, one of the children uh, was telling me, he said, it's so great up there. It's just like real church, but it's for kids. Like, yeah, that's right. That's awesome. I love that. So I moved to this area when I was uh, in high school, and I quickly did what most teenagers did that lived out of this area, and that was cruise. Right, you know, so you live in this area. You you drove to Desoto for a while, and you made this endless loop all around Hampton Road there, you know, looking for people and just doing goofy stuff. And I did that, and then that would get old. So my friends and I would drive out here, and we drive around in the back roads. And there was nothing out here back then, but it was just, I don't know why we did. We drove the back roads and man, I knew all the back roads. I knew every street. I knew where they were, where to go. And we just cruised and hung out, listened to our music, had some great times. What's interesting to me or what became interesting to me is that the places that I passed by so often then and had little thought of, some of those places became some of the most meaningful points in my life. I don't know how many times I drove up and down Mockingbird Lane back in the day, just looking for stuff to do on the back roads. And we would pass by 1681 Mockingbird Lane. That would become the place when Heather and I got married that we would live. It would be the place where we would bring Brianna home from the hospital. It'd be those, at that place that the first years of our life would, together would be spent. It'd be in that house that Holly would be born. Later, we moved to 103 Boardwalk in Midlothian. I'd passed by that place a lot. It was just a field back in the day. But 103 Boardwalk became special. That was the next house we moved to. And that, in that house, is where Hunter was born. In that house is where Taylor would be born. We'd move from there to a place that I probably had passed by more than any of the others, 303 Willowwood. I used to spend a lot of time toilet paper in the house next door to that. <laughs> but that would be the place where we would move. That would be the place where Truett would be born. Truett's only known one room his entire life. Still in that same room. He says one day he's going to live in that house. He doesn't want to move. It's interesting how what happens at a place changes that place. When something special happens at a certain location, it changes how you see that location. I probably drove by this place right here more than any of them. I worked right next door. This small building next door used to be called the Totaway. I worked there. We played football out in this field. Had no clue one day I'd be the pastor right here. But God changed some things. And what was common and ordinary location to me became a special location because of what God did there. That's what God does. He takes the ordinary, and makes it extraordinary when he's on the ground. Amen? When he's in the location, he changes it from something common 
to something uncommon. He makes it a sacred space. He makes it beautiful. But he actually does more than that. He actually takes places where we've had pain in our life. And he has a way of transforming those and redeeming them. Buying them back and making them for a different purpose. He has a way of transforming and redeeming what we thought was common or painful or even lost. We've been in a series called Climb That Mountain. And we've looked at some pretty audacious mountains in scripture. We've seen some things that God has done on those mountains. We've actually seen him make those mountains into sacred places. Today we come to a mountain most sacred to us as followers of Jesus Christ. It is a mountain we're calling today the mountain of redemption. It's really not a mountain in the scale of mountains. It's actually more like a hill, but you might know it with the word mountain attached to it because it is Mount Calvary. It is the place where Jesus was crucified. It's the place where the fullness of our sin was dealt with. It's the place where the fullness of God's love is seen It's the place where the extreme measures of the enemy are hurled. It's the mountain of redemption. One verse for us today, a verse and a half actually, John 19, verse 17 and 18. It's toward the end of Jesus' life. It's after a night of uh, arrest and false accusation and trumped up charges and Jesus taken from trial to trial and after he's been beaten within inches of his life, given a crown of thorns, we read these words. And he, Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him. Jesus, bearing the cross that the Father had for him, he went out, outside the city of Jerusalem, to a place the Bible calls here the place of a skull. Those who have been there say that if you pass by this area and you look at it, that the way the rocks are shaped, it actually looks like a skull. There are some deep-set eyes and some curvature to the rocks that make it look like what it was in that day, a place of death. It was here that criminals were crucified. It is here that enemies of the state were put on display to say, this is what happens to you when you go against the state. It is here that Jesus would go. It is here that he would do a work of redemption. 
So I want us to target this mountain, this Golgotha, this place of the skull, and see what Jesus does here. Because the work of redemption will be magnificent. It'll be so wise. It'll be beautiful. And it will be what prepares us today for a time of worship with communion. This was a mountain, as I mentioned, that was a mountain of uh, judgment, a place of pain, a place for enemies of the state, a place for criminals, a place for those who had violated the law, a place for those who had hurt others, a place for those who were being crucified so that others would know this is what happens to you when you break the law. Golgotha was for criminals. And Jesus is going to Golgotha. Golgotha shouldn't have been for Jesus because of anything he had done. If Golgotha was for anybody when it comes to sin, it should have been us. You see, this was our mountain. Golgotha should have been ours And Jesus was given our mountain. He bore our cross. Jesus was not a criminal. Jesus had taught the people the heart and words of the Father. Jesus was not a criminal. Jesus had healed those who were sick. Jesus was not a criminal. Jesus had loved the unlovely. He was not a criminal. He had served those who did not deserve to be served. He had washed the feet of those who should have been washing his feet. He was not a criminal. You will not find any record of a sin that Jesus committed. You won't find any law that he broke. You won't find anything that he ever did that made him deserving of any kind of punishment or justice. He was not a criminal. You and I are the criminals. You and I are the ones who come from a bloodline of sinners. You and I are the ones who come from the line of Adam, who was told, do not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you eat of it, in the day, in the moment, in the time that you eat of it, in the day, in the moment, in the time that you disobey, in the day and in the moment and the time that you choose to strike out on your own, do your own thing, refuse to do what God says, say, no, I will not, I will do my own thing, I want to lead my own life, I don't need you, God, in my life, in the day that you eat of that, you will die. And Adam and Eve did. And all those who'd be born after them did as well. And it's what you and I have done in our lives as well. Each of us, at some point, have said, no, God, I will not, I will not. I will not bow my knee. I will not follow you. I will not choose you. I will not love them. I will not forgive them. I will not serve them. I will not. So welcome to the class of sinners. Those who should have been on Golgotha. Amen? Amen. 
Jesus was not a criminal. We are the criminals. And criminals of sin deserve the penalty of sin, death. Jesus was given our mountain for Golgotha in the Hebrew, Calvary in Latin, was a place of punishment, and Jesus was given our mountain. When given that mountain, Jesus didn't refuse it. Jesus didn't turn away from it. Instead, Jesus climbed that mountain. The Bible tells us that there was a physical uh, or phenomenon that happened that day. The Bible says that uh, a darkness covered the earth. Interesting, in the middle of the afternoon, for a darkness to cover. You see, in that moment, there was something more happening. There was something spiritual happening. The Bible says in that moment when Jesus climbed that mountain, when Jesus was placed on the cross, in that moment, he was becoming the payment for our sin. The Bible describes it this way in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. The Old Testament is uh, the testament of law. It's the agreement with God and man based on the law. And in the law, it described how to follow God, what the requirements were for serving him and following him and living his life. And what God gave to Moses was the law, the blessings for following the law, and then the curses that come upon all those who do not. And we find that Jesus there on the cross became the curse that you and I deserved. The consequences, the punishment. He took upon himself the place of being cursed when he had done no wrong. He took upon himself the punishment, the justice against sin. God had been very clear throughout the Old Testament that those who sin will die. There was judgment. The scripture records one moment in which the holy Ark of the Covenant, the box that contained God's broken law and was the place that was the seat of mercy in which the blood was poured out in the tabernacle It was to be carried a very special and holy way. But some men decided they would do things their way. And in carrying it their way instead of God's way, they found themselves in a bad spot for this cart that was carrying it man's way instead of being carried on the shoulders of the priest. This cart shifted And someone reached out to just catch it just so it wouldn't fall. Just so it wouldn't tumble over. And they put their hand out against the ark. And the Bible says in the moment that they touched that ark, they died. Because they had violated God's 
way. The law described the way and the law described the consequences. The law described the curse that came upon them. And here on the cross, Jesus was becoming the curse. He was taking what you and I and sinners deserved, death. It tells us in Hebrews 2, 9, it says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God, listen to this, should taste death for all. On the cross, Jesus tasted what you and I deserved. I don't know about you, but I have a pretty limited taste palette. I do. Heather has a more broad taste palette than me. And so she will venture out sometimes into some places beyond my taste palate and want me to try things that are new to me, like Brussels sprouts. Mm, I hear that. Mm. She fixed them up pretty good, though. You know, soaked them in a little bit of maple syrup, wrapped some bacon around it. I mean, you could just about put anything inside that package and it'd be good, right? <laughs> and it was. It was good. But one of, the, one of the ones for me that I just really struggle with is something called hominy. Now, you might like hominy. Good for you. <laughs> I don't. Hominy... It's just one of those things is just to me is terrible. So one night, Heather made some hominy. And I heard the phrase I've heard untold number of times. Just try it. You might like it. This time. So trying to be loving husband, I tried the hominy. And in that moment, I did something at the table that I had never done before, and I hope I don't ever do again. I spit that stuff out. And I'm like, it was terrible. I didn't like tasting that. It was gross to me. Here in this verse, Hebrews 2.9, Jesus on the cross takes in Taste death for us all. He takes in what you and I deserved. Death, punishment, because of our sin. He takes it in and tastes it. He bears not just the grossness of sin but he bears the punishment for sin 2 Corinthians 5.21 says for he made him the father made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him in this moment Jesus on the cross became our worst, the curse, sin. 
And in this moment, the Father poured out the wrath of a holy God against sin. Against all sin. Against sin from the beginning, sin to the end. Sin from the east to the west. Sin in all of its vilest form. Sin in the forms that you and I detest when we hear about it. Sin that you and I know about. And I'm not talking about the public sins that others around you might know about in your life. I'm talking about the stuff that you know about that you don't tell anybody. I'm talking about the stuff of lust that burns in your heart for what someone else has or who someone else is and you burn with lust for that, that is sin. I'm talking about greed that causes you to want things to satisfy your pleasure. I'm talking about the kind of hatred that causes you to see someone and you just seethe with anger and resentment and bitterness for them. I'm talking about the kind of stubbornness that causes you to say, no, I will not do that, God. I'm talking about all of those kind of sins, all those matters of the heart that are deep and dark and buried and you don't tell anyone about it, but you know the shame of them, you know the filth of them, you know the pain of them. All of that must be judged by God. And here on the cross was Jesus tasting your worst day of guilt and shame. You take that day of yours where that event happened where you just absolutely flew into the face of God with your own stubbornness of sin and the guilt that you felt afterwards, the shame that you felt afterwards, the remorse, the heaviness, all of that in this moment on the cross. Jesus tastes all of that for you and for me. He climbed that mountain. Rome was putting on display that day as they had done many other days. Here's what it looks like when you go against us. And with a measure of satisfaction, they wanted people to pass by and see This is what happens if you go against the state. But also, it wasn't just Rome doing something that day. God was doing something that day as well. And in a a passage that's difficult for most to comprehend, Isaiah, it says, it actually pleased the Father to bruise the Son That's hard for you and I to grasp. But here was not just Rome putting on a display. Here was God the Father putting on a display to say, here is my son. And he is taking into himself the wrath of a holy God against the most vile offensive sins of man. See him 
and see what you've done. See what your stubbornness has caused. See what your refusal to forgive has caused. See what your lust, see what your disobedience, see what your anger has caused. This is God's son on display. Sin seen for its ugly, horrid self that it is. And the wrath of a holy God poured out in its entirety on Jesus. There, because Jesus did that, all of those who would confess their sins and confess Jesus as Lord would find release and freedom. So that whenever you now are reminded of your past, reminded of your sin, reminded of your guilt, you simply go to the place where Jesus was crucified, where he became the curse, where he became sin, where he took the wrath of God, and you say, hallelujah, praise God, I am free. Amen, amen. Because now, as a believer and a receiver of what Jesus has done, the Father's wrath poured out on him no longer hits me. And so the words of Romans 8, 1 become crystal clear. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not because I've been a good little boy, but because Jesus bore the holy wrath of God against my sin. He was in the place I should have been. He took my mountain, he climbed that mountain, and he redeemed me on that mountain. Amen? Amen. You see, wherever the blood falls, there is redemption. When that blood falls into my heart and I receive it, I am redeemed. I'm set free. I no longer have to walk in my guilt and shame and sin. Wherever the blood falls, there's redemption. He redeems what was to make it something new. You see, Jesus redeemed that mountain. It's fascinating to me that um, this verse said that the mountain was called Golgotha in Hebrew, the place of a skull, the place that whenever you heard it, you instantly knew, oh, you had this painful emotion attached to it. You had this vision of that place outside of town if you had passed by it. It's the kind of place that if you pass by with your children, you, you cover their eyes and try to make it by. It's the kind of place you didn't even want to look at as you went by. You would glance, but you saw the horror of it. You heard the horror of it. You heard the screams. You saw the pain. You saw the agony. You saw the offense, but you didn't want to stay there long. 
It wasn't a place you went camping. It was not a place you went to hang out. It was not something you would have ever thought of with fond affection. It was Golgotha. It was Calvary. But if you are a child of God today, if you've been around church any time, You know that when the name Calvary is mentioned, it does something different in our hearts today. Amen? Now when I hear Calvary, I don't hear pain and agony. I hear freedom and release. Amen? Amen. I hear something different today. I have a different association with Calvary because the blood of Jesus was spilt there. Remember, where the blood of Jesus goes... He redeems. He changes a location and redeems it to be something special and new. He changed Golgotha from a place of suffering into a place of a song. He took Golgotha and transformed it from a place of death and made it into a place of life. He took Golgotha and made it from a place of man's hatred into a place of his love. He took Golgotha and he transformed it from a place of despair to a place of great hope. He transformed Golgotha from something that had been known about it to something brand new about it. And those who put their faith in him, you forever hear Calvary differently because you know personally it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day right who know that hymn right thank you very much you see it's there that you and I were transformed from sinner to saint it's there we were transformed from outcast to child of the king. It's there we were transformed from rejected to accepted. It's there we were transformed from slave to brother. It's there we were transformed from a place of poverty to a place of receiving inheritance. It's there we were transformed from death to life. It's there we were transformed from sentenced sinner to forgiven free. It's there we were transformed from an uncertain future to a place where we become a citizen of heaven. Because wherever the blood falls, there is redemption. Amen? He redeems our life. So those who put their faith... You're at a place today where you have never seen Calvary more beautiful than when you see and know Jesus paid for your salvation there. Jesus not only redeemed that mountain, but he also redeems your mountain. In your life, you have some mountains. You have some places that... uh, are less desirable. You have places in your past that you don't like to talk about. You don't like to go there. You don't like to replay the tape of that place. And I don't either. They're dark. They're defeating. They're filled with sadness. But 
curiously, they're actually the place the enemy loves to try to take you. They're the place you have this funny drawing to. This place where you want to go, but you don't want to go. And you keep feeling this drawing to it. But because of what Jesus did in becoming a curse for your sin, he redeems that mountain too. He redeems those places in your life where you feel like, and because of what I did there, and because of what's happened there, I don't know that my life can ever be all that it could have been. Let me just describe some of those mountains. It could be that you, in your past, maybe even recent past, have experienced a failure, a failure greater than what you'd ever thought you could have ever done. Something kind of shocked yourself. Maybe you haven't told anyone about it. But it's a mountain that's dark. It's a mountain that's seemingly impassable. Maybe in your past, there's an abortion that today stings with such guilt and shame. Maybe in your past, there's a divorce that you look at today and have concluded that because of that, you're somehow disqualified from ever experiencing the goodness of God again. Maybe it's an affair that's in your past. Maybe it's a sense of feeling completely unloved, alone. No one to care for you. And you somehow feel like there's something wrong with you that you could never know the goodness of God because of what you've done. Maybe it's a sense of rejection. I don't know what it is for you, but I know life enough, me enough, and people enough to know we have places like that. And they're the places we try to even distance from places like this. It's a funny thing people do when they come to church. Put your best foot forward. Try to look all shiny and clean and you know, not expose the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities and the dark mountains and the places like I've just mentioned. You don't talk about those. But the reality of the gospel is The places of the greatest darkness are the places that Jesus redeems and where the blood falls, he redeems and the place of your greatest pain becomes the place of your greatest adoration for him. Because he takes that place where you failed so miserably. He takes that place where you feel like you committed the almost unpardonable sin. He takes that place where you don't even like to go and he meets you there. And he applies his blood there. And he forgives you there. And in that moment, in that spot, in the place you didn't want to go, you don't like to take others, that spot all of a sudden becomes the place most precious to you because that's the place where the blood became real to you. 
Amen. So don't think you can't go there. It's the place you've got to go there. It's the place he wants to go there with you. It's your mountain. It's the place he wants to transform. It's the place he wants to redeem so that you don't have to run from it. You run to it to find him in it. You don't have to hide it from others. It actually becomes the place where your greatest testimony lies. You don't have to run from it. You run to it. You don't have to despise it. You can love it. You can have what you think is your place of the skull become the greatest place of worship, Calvary. Do you hear me? Mm. He can redeem your mountain, whatever that might be. Don't hide it. Expose it. Let him see it. Let him touch it. Let him apply his blood to it. That's what he does. He's a transforming, redeeming God. You know, even what we're about to do here in receiving communion, there are cups of juice here to symbolize the blood of Jesus. There is unleavened bread here. In Texas, we call them crackers. (laughs) This bread made without any yeast in it a picture of sin, Old Testament. It's made pure. It symbolizes the body of Jesus. It's fascinating what Jesus has instituted. Jesus is the one who tells us to do this. This isn't something that just somebody in church made up and said, hey, this would be cool. Jesus told us to do this. And what he did is he, in the process, redeemed something that many thought of as bad and made it into something holy. I mean, just think about it for a moment. We're about to drink what symbolizes someone's blood. If you found out your neighbor was drinking blood next door, you'd be calling somebody. If you found out your neighbor was eating flesh, you'd be calling somebody. What we are about to do is eat what symbolizes flesh and drink what symbolizes blood. Because what Jesus did is he transformed, he redeemed death. He redeemed death so that you and I, what we drink here today, frees us from the penalty of death from our sin and it frees us from the fear of death when we die. He redeems it. I don't have to fear what's coming because I know who waits for me. I know who has bought me. And death will only be my transport into his presence. Amen? Amen. So what we are about to do here today is experience redemption on so many different levels. You'll come here in just a moment and you'll take one of these wafers. 
you'll take a cup of the juice. You'll return to your seat. You'll be given time to pray. You'll be given time to thank God for his body broken for you, his blood poured out for you. We don't gather here today to revisit every sin we've ever committed. Praise God. We don't gather here today to be filled with sadness and remorse. Praise God. We gather to receive this juice and bread, to repent of sin, but to thank God that our sin has been paid for by his body and by his blood, forever paid for. We go to revisit Calvary. We go to revisit Golgotha. I drive around the area and I sometimes, with our family, will revisit places we've lived. You say, remember that time we did this there? Yeah. Remember this? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, I remember. Today, we go back. We revisit Calvary. We revisit love poured out for us. We revisit the horror of sin's cost. And we remember and revisit the unbelievable love for us that a father will give his only son in the most extreme measures of suffering ever imaginable. Not just what he bore in his body, but what he bore in himself, the wrath of God that would cause him on the cross to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there he would die with the cry, it is finished, it is complete. The scripture tells us about this moment. I want to read this passage and then we're going to pray. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. 23. The apostle Paul writes, and he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We revisit today. We remember today. And may it stir us to love. May it stir us to gratefulness. May it stir us to worship. Because the place of death, Golgotha, the place of death, my heart has been bought, 
redeemed and transformed to a place of life. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are humbled today at the overwhelming expression of love given to us in your Son. We're also overwhelmed at the uh, severity of wrath against sin. That our Lord Jesus would bear in his own body every curse, every judgment, every ounce of your holy wrath would be poured out on him all so that we could be free from it. So that we could truly know your love and experience forgiveness. The washing away of our sin. Full freedom. Full acceptance. Made clean. Made holy. Made righteous. Not by anything we have done but only by the blood of the Son poured out for us. I thank you that you have redeemed us through faith. I thank you that you are transforming us through faith. And so we come to remember today, to revisit what love is, what freedom is. And what stands at the very center of our faith, a cross. Father, I pray you will show us individually mountains in our life that you're looking to redeem. Places that we've thought hopeless. Places that we've thought desolate. Places we've sought to avoid. May we find in those places your love, your blood poured out, that we might worship you in those places like never before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here's what I'd ask of you. If, um, I'm going to ask you to take just a moment to pray in your seat. And when you're ready, you come, take a cup, take one of the wafers, return to your seat, and take time alone. You and God. Love him. Thank him. Repent of sin. And then drink. Eat. Take in the body and the blood of Jesus poured out for you. And then we'll sing together as a church after that. Amen. What an incredible sermon. Today I love how he reminded us that we have been bought, redeemed, and transformed to a place of life through Jesus. Make sure and join us next week live for Easter. We have two services. We have 9 o'clock and 1030. We can't wait to see you.